0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: In the science revolution this week, look out as Rand Paul may be infecting America with a brand new COVID epidemic, and we may have no protection. Investigative journalist Greg Pallis is here on the Exxon Valdez disaster 33 years ago. He's saying, don't buy Exxon's fable of a drunken captain. We just passed World Water Day, and Rihanna Eckel from Food and Water Watch drops by about the growing threat of water privatization. Stay tuned. I want to start out with Rand Paul and his fellow mask-holes. I got my vaccine, by the way, yesterday. I'm speaking to you with a sore arm. These guys could be bringing us a whole brand new pandemic. I don't think it's gotten anywhere near enough attention. I wrote about it on HartmanReport.com over the weekend. A lot of people were like, what? Really? In that op-ed there's the links to all the science and you know what everybody said but here's what happened basically Rand Paul is an entitled preening ass of the first order and he refuses to wear a mask because he says you know I've already had COVID and so I'm immune I'm not going to get it again therefore why should I bother wearing a mask and then he says to Fauci he says and I'm quoting here he says you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks just for show you can't get it again there's virtually a 0% chance you're going to get it. And you're telling people who've had the vaccine, who have immunity, you're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear masks who've been vaccinated. Now, there is a certain logic to this. And I'm seeing increasingly people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, walking around Portland or around my neighborhood anyway, without masks. And I'm assuming that these people have been vaccinated, about a third of all Americans over 65 have been vaccinated now, at least one shot. And I'm assuming that these are people who've been vaccinated and therefore they think they don't need to wear a mask anymore. So this is how Anthony Fauci replied to that what seems like a logical position. Hey, I've got the vaccine, I'm immune. I've had, or in the case of Rand Paul, I've had COVID, I'm immune. Again, first of all, keeping in mind that in the last 20 years, we have seen three of these coronaviruses now. SARS, which kills One fifth of the people who get it, the original SARS that came out around uh, the turn of the the century, MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which you get from camels and is still popping around in the Middle East, that kills about a third of the people who get it, and this new one is called SARS-CoV-2, also known as COVID-19. And the problem is that there's a new mutation of the COVID-19 that eventually may get its own designation as a separate coronavirus and it may only be the beginning of the mutation process this is what fauci told rand paul on live television last thursday he said quote in the south african study conducted by johnson and johnson they found that people who were infected with the wild type of covid like you know you senator rand paul got and were exposed to this variant in south africa the 351 variant it was as if they had never been infected before they had no protection. So as I said earlier, there's a good news, bad news. The bad news is what Fauci just said there, which is that Rand Paul, even though he thinks he's, he's immune and he doesn't have to wear a mask because he's already had COVID, he could get the South African variant as if he never had it before. And the South African one is actually deadlier than the regular one. So if you've had COVID and you think you're immune and you don't need a vaccine, think twice. All right. That's the bad news. The good news is, and by the way, the South African variant is showing up in the United States. It has already popped up in a half a dozen states and it's ripping through Europe, which is part of the reason why France is shutting down right now. You have saw these protests in Germany, a lot of it being fed by foreign trolls posing as Germans going, you know, freedom, freedom. I think they need to start spelling that word F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. But in any case, th- that's going on. But just let that sink in. Fauci said the South African variant, if you've already had COVID, no protection, as if you've never been infected before. Now, the good news is that if you've had the vaccine and you get the South African variant, it's depending on the vaccine, they've looked at three of them now, it's between 60 and 70% effective at preventing you from even getting infected with the South African variant and 100% effective at preventing you from getting so sick you end up in the hospital or so sick that you end up dead. So bottom line, getting vaccinated is the key to the whole thing. And we're in a race in time here in the United States against this South African variant, which is right now infecting about as many people as the original wild variant had in February or March of last year. So if we can't get people vaccinated fast enough, we're gonna see another wave of this stuff, only well, it's gonna be the South African variant, and it's gonna reinfect people who've already had COVID. So we've got a big job to do, and people, you know, these mask-holes like Rand Paul, saying, oh, you know, no big deal I've masks. We don't need no stinking masks. In Idaho, where the where the Idaho legislature, in fact, had to shut down because they had a COVID outbreak, after they were cheering on these children who are burning masks because their crazed parents who've been reading QAnon conspiracy theories, it's nuts. This is the Tom Hartman program, the BBC podcast on Saturday morning. Quote: "The COVID crisis in Europe is getting worse and quickly. This is why." Ron DeSantis is now, he wants, you know, he, he's getting in on this act, right? Because no one was held accountable for a half million deaths. There's literally no consensus in America about who's responsible for the fact that Taiwan, that got its first case of COVID the same day we did back in, and then the first death from COVID as well, back in March of, of last year, that Taiwan has had 12, I think 12 people die now. South Korea, it's been a couple hundred we had a half million. Nobody has been held responsible for this, which blows my mind. I mean, we really need to be talking about this. Who, who do we hold responsible for this? Well, Ron DeSantis, Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos writes the headline, Ron DeSantis wants an award and he deserves one for conducting the biggest cover-up of COVID-19 data. And that's what's going on. On Thursday of last week, Ron DeSantis published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal basically saying, I ignored the science. I told people they didn't need masks. I kept the state open. And now our economic activity is doing better than a lot of other states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what he neglected to say And by the way, his policies are creating an absolute screaming crisis. You saw, you know, Miami Beach is under a two-week state of emergency right now. Curfew, an overnight curfew. You know, here's DeSantis taking a victory lap after he killed 32,000 Floridians that we know of. And this is where, I mean, you know, the truth is we may have no friggin' clue how many people actually died in Florida of COVID. When the epidemic started, the pandemic started in February and March, Medical examiners in the state of Florida would record the cause of death and report it to the county. And then the county would post that on their website and send the information to the state. But it was all public, right? They didn't, they didn't name the people and the, and the medical examiners, but they, they, they listed the cause of death in the numbers. Well, that was starting to look bad for DeSantis because there were starting to be a lot of COVID deaths in Florida. So he changed it. He said, medical examiners, you may no longer tell the counties. You have to tell me. You have to tell the state. And don't worry, we'll publicize that information. But they didn't. They hid it. In fact, as of March 2020, uh, March a year ago, one year ago this month, county medical examiners were forbidden from revealing the numbers of deaths or even the cause of death, which led to, in April, now keep in mind, there was no flu last year. I mean, like, you know, typically in America, there's like 30,000 flu deaths and, you know, a couple hundred thousand flu cases. There was like a a few hundred or maybe a few thousand flu cases, no flu deaths. We basically had no flu in the United States last year. And the reason why, of course, is because everybody was wearing a mask. Not everybody, but enough. But suddenly in Florida, They had this, in April of last year, they had this huge spike in pneumonia deaths. This is what Ron DeSantis and the state were calling them. These were obviously COVID deaths, but they didn't want to flag them as COVID deaths. And so they said, well, you know, it's it's pneumonia caused by the flu. But there was no flu. And then you had this data scientist, Dr. Rebecca Jones, who had been working for the state compiling this information, and when Ron DeSantis hid all this information, she put up her own website to show the information. She not only got fired, but the state police raided her home and took her computers, which as far as I can tell, are still gone. The state medical examiners were up in arms. They called DeSantis's numbers a sham. The Miami Herald said that the data is riddled with holes now. If you were a snowbird, if you live, you know, if you own a, a condo or a house or an apartment in, in Florida and you spend the winter months there and the summer months in Michigan or Pennsylvania or wherever and die of COVID in Florida, they don't even list you as a death in the state because you're not, you know, your driver's license isn't a Florida driver's license because you live, you know, six months, seven months out of the year in Michigan and, and five months out of the year in Florida. I mean, this is how bad it is. And what we do know which is very little, but what we do know is that the rate of deaths in Florida is 27% higher than Virginia, 36% higher than North Carolina, and 180% higher than Maine, the per capita rate of deaths. Ron DeSantis wants to run for president. Of course, Rick Scott's gonna beat him to that, but he's trying to be the new national hero. He's the guy, he, I, you know, I conquered COVID, right? Amazing. 33 years ago today, the Exxon Valdez disaster happened. The myth that I think most of us believe, the story that was told, in fact, a movie was made out of it. Is that the uh, captain of the ship was a drunk, and therefore it you know ran aground and you know quack quack quack. But there is a much deeper story here, and one of the guys who was on that story at the time, 33 years ago, doing the research, publishing articles about it, is the author of Vultures Picnic, which features the full Exxon Valdez story. It's a, one of Greg Pallas' absolutely best books. The investigative journalist Greg Palast himself, gregpalast.com, Greg underscore Palace at Twitter. Greg, welcome back to the program. Tell us the true story of the Exxon Valdez.
0: Yeah, uh, let me declare that I was the chief investigator for the people that owned the shoreline, the Chugach natives of Alaska. I lived up with the natives for a few years doing the investigation. Okay, here's a story. There's this whole myth that there's a drunken skipper, you know, like someone at the wheel of a car who's drunk and smashes into a rock. No, he was below deck sleeping it off. That's not how that happened. You had the third mate who anyone could have taken that ship through there because they had the very first GPS system in the world on that ship. It was very easy to sail through, uh, not hit a rock. There's a big giant light on Bly Reef, and they should have missed it, but... Believe it or not, Exxon had the radar turned off. I kid you not. The radar was turned off. Why? Because it was broken. It was too expensive to fix. It's not like your $200 Garmin. We're talking a $2 million piece of equipment, which took a lot of people millions of dollars of training. They turned off the radar, Tom. The other thing is that it hit at Bly Reef at Tatitlick Village. You have to understand the Chugach natives, uh, my clients, who I was investigating for, they were standing on the beach watching this ship come towards them and smashed into the rocks. And here's the tragedy. It destroyed their village. It destroyed the 1,200 miles of coastline. It destroyed their lives. Understand, they'd cut a deal. They'd, the Chugach natives had given Exxon and BP the Port of Valdez, a billion-dollar property, and they did it for one dollar but they said what we care about is not your money. We want these waters to be clean and safe. You put us in charge of the safety. Number one, you must have state-of-the-art radar, and they got Exxon to agree to it, and of course they turned off the radar. We didn't mean to say, hey, listen, you gotta keep the radar turned on. And the second is that you have to have safety equipment In case of an oil spill, that is at Bly Reef, you have... It's very easy, by the way, to clean up an oil spill, Tommy. It's it's really simple. You put rubber around it, and then you get a containment ship, and you suck it out. So you put on the rubber, you suck it out, and you're done. You would have never heard of the Exxon Valdez. Exxon lied, and BP lied, and said that there was spill equipment right there at Bly Reef, right where the ship hit. But it was a complete lie. They signed documents. It was a fraud. And even worse... They were supposed, part of the deal for getting Valdez is they had hired the natives who were expert in being able to get into that icy water with special suits on to surround a ship where there's a spill. Just before the tanker hit, they'd fired the natives to save money. They never put out the equipment. They fired the natives. They were prepared and trained to surround a stricken vessel, stop the oil from flowing out, pump it out, you would have never heard of the Exxon Valdez, except that Exxon and its partner, British Petroleum, lied and lied and lied. And, and that's why we still know the name Exxon Valdez 33 years later.
1: We also know the name of, what was it, Joseph, what was his last name? No, Hazelwood.
0: Look, you Hazel shouldn't wood, be drunk. Hazelwood, right. I knew there was a wood If in you're it. a captain, yeah. you shouldn't be drunk. But it's not, he wasn't driving the car. He wasn't driving the vessel. Right. The problem was- right. Yeah, he was in the back that, seat. That he was below decks, uh, sleeping it off, so was the first and second mate. The third mate, he wasn't exactly expert, but they had the radar. And Any 12-year-old who's played a video game would know how to move that ship by following the GPS. That's all you have to do is a big, right. giant, wide channel. But if you've got, by got no, no way, GPS, they're... you've got a problem. Yeah by the way, on top of everything else, while ExxonMobil has run big ads talking about — they actually ran giant full-page ads for several years about their safe vessels because they have double hulls — well, the Exxon Valdez had a single hull. And because Exxon and BP had successfully fought congressional demands to have every tanker out of Valdez have a double hull, they beat that and said it wasn't necessary. When the tanker hit, if it had hit the reef and had the double hull, they wouldn't have lost 12 ounces of oil, let alone, we don't know how many gallons, but about 42 million gallons of oil.
1: What was the consequence of this to Exxon, other than bad publicity, which they seem to have been able to greenwash away? And what happened to your clients, the Native Americans there?
0: Oh, boy. So I fought Exxon for years on their behalf with the legal team, and we uncovered this massive fraud. And they said, if you make the fraud public, if you use the F-word fraud, we will never give you a penny. So they gave the natives a few shekels. What they did was they bought some of it, basically bought the native land. Why? Because they actually want to use it as, for oil work staging. You can still go to the Chugach lands, like the Sleepy Bay. You stick your hand in the gravel at the beach at Sleepy Bay. This is 33 years later. I've been there, by the way. I go about every 10 years. Stick your hand in the gravel. It'll come up with goo and smell like a gas station. This fantasy that nature just is an endless toilet which flushes itself clean is nonsense. So they still got the hydrocarbon. It killed, it killed, uh, you know, their seals at the Chenega Village. They lived 100% off the land. Everything was poisoned. It destroyed their way of life. And a judge ruled that. The native way of life, living off the land, which they've lived off for 3,000 years. A judge ruled, he said, look, your native life is just a lifestyle choice. You know, you could always you hmm. know, go to a supermarket, which is 100 miles away by air. So they got nothing for the destruction of their, uh, of their way of life. It destroyed those villages. It destroyed those villages. It was horrendous, and it's still there. And anyone, you know, Exxon is still putting out the lie that nature cleans itself. You just, again, it's just an, a toilet you can keep flushing. Because who goes up there, Tom? This is really remote. These are the last... Is yeah,
1: any of this still being litigated, Greg?
0: By the way, Exxon told me when I cut a deal, would try to cut a deal with them and say, you know, buddy, we can wait you out 20 years in a courtroom. And I thought, well, that's an exaggeration. No, it was 20 years before the U.S. Supreme Court ruled and cut out... 90% of the court of a jury and court judgment against Exxon. 90% of the court judgment. This is what ended, by the way, it was a case that ended virtually ended punitive damages in America. So I don't think people understand what happens with these oil spills. It is permanent destruction and you're finished. You know, these guys lie. Oil industry floats on lies.
1: Well said. Greg Palace, investigative journalist and author. The book that carries this story is Vulture's Picnic, one of Greg's many brilliant books. GregPallas.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallas. Greg, you're the best. Thanks so much for dropping by
0: today. You're welcome, Tom.
1: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie dot com slash wondery. So it's World Water Day. On the line with us is Rihanna Eckel, the senior organizer with the national organizing team at Food Rihanna's Twitter handle is R I A N N A E C K E L or at Food and Water. Rihanna, welcome to the program. Tell us about this uh, 2021 Water Act and the growing threat of water privatization.
2: The Water Act of 2021 is a monumental piece of water justice legislation. It was recently reintroduced by Representative Brenda Lawrence and Representative Ro Khanna, as well as Senator Bernie Sanders. And this bill is really important because it will fully fund our water infrastructure system. Our water funding peaked in 1970 it has been cut nearly 82%. And as a result, we have a growing water affordability crisis in our country. We have increasing pollution. There are water shutoffs, of course, the threat of privatization, as you mentioned. So what the Water Act would do is fully fund our water infrastructure so that everyone in our country can have access to safe, affordable drinking water. And the EPA uses the EPA's estimate that we need $35 billion a year for our water infrastructure. And currently, we are investing about $5 billion a year from the federal government. So There's a huge gap we need to cover right now.
1: Absolutely. I think that Flint, Michigan got all the publicity. But the fact of the matter is, number one, there's hundreds of Flints not necessarily quite as egregious or as sudden and not done for political purposes or to help big donors the way Rick Snyder did in Michigan, but there are hundreds of places where the water is not safe for children. It's still lead polluted. And I know with electricity, You had privatized for-profit electricity in California when Enron owned it, and they used that for blatant political purposes, shutting down, you know, doing rolling blackouts across the state just to justify a petition to kick Gray Davis out of the governor's mansion so they could replace him with a Republican. In this case, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and here in Oregon, here in Portland, tried to buy our system and pge refused to sell it to the city even though the city was offering more than pge was asking for but they would only sell to a private entity this is a real crisis and so we see the same thing down in texas with electricity this is a real crisis what is it like with water how many water systems around the country are privately owned versus publicly owned and is there any national regulation of that or is it state by state or county by county
2: Nationwide, most people are served by a public utility, but private corporations are really using this funding crisis, the water funding crisis, to prey on vulnerable cities who are struggling to make ends meet. For example, I live in Baltimore and there were a few private companies swooping around trying to buy the water system because the city has been struggling to put the investment that we need into the city. There's a lot of water main breaks, infrastructure problems, and we can see that that's happening in communities across the country. And that really all stems from the fact that when the federal funding for our water systems disappears, those systems have to use rate increases in order to make up the funds that they need. So as our infrastructure is crumbling, utilities have to raise rates higher and higher and higher. And so now, especially there's concerns that after this coronavirus pandemic, so many municipal governments are struggling to make ends meet and private companies now offer what seems like incentives or good deals for municipalities offering a lot of upfront cash to buy their water systems. But of course, we know that private companies are beholden to their shareholders. They're working to make their profits, and they charge on average 59% more than municipal water services, and it also leads to declining quality of water because they are cutting corners to maximize profits, as well as lost union jobs um, and declining customer service in general. So it's really a huge problem um, when you know private corporations seek to profiteer off of something that we all really need as a basic human right. A lot of the regulation is done state by state level, and there are even some pushes in states that the private water industry is pushing state legislation to make it so that if they purchase a system, they can then use the cost that they spent buying that system to justify later rate increases. So they can make up all of that money directly from ratepayers. So it's a huge... And it's a just a profiteering yeah. motive for them and it's customer. Yeah, electric
1: utilities run, run that same scam too. We're talking with Rihanna Eckel the senior organizer with the national organizing team of foodandwaterwatch.org, foodandwaterwatch.org. I don't recall if it was when I was living in New Hampshire or when I was living in Vermont, but one of those two states. 20 years ago or thereabouts. One of these companies, and I think it was Nestle's, came into town and bought you know, a couple hundred acres and said, okay, we own this land, so we're going to set a drill up here and we're going to drill down into the water table and pump out like a million gallons of water a day to send off to our bottling plant. And people in the state freaked out and got it stopped, as I recall. But there's a huge kerfuffle around this, but this has happened in other states where they say, well, we own the land, therefore we can take all the water we want out from underneath it, even if it runs people's wells, drying things. Is that a piece of this or is that a whole separate issue?
2: Yeah, that is a, a whole separate issue. Um, the Water Act really just focuses on restoring funding to our municipal systems and working to really support public water systems to make sure that you know everyone can have access to safe, affordable public drinking water. Of course, private companies um, taking advantage of, you know, land rights and um, creating bad contracts with municipalities is still um, something that we need to fight. But the Water Act is really um, just looking to make sure that we can reinvest in our water system and and make sure that we can uh, put the money that we need to so that people can have safe water.
1: Okay, so to the Water Act, who are the sponsors? Where is it at, presumably in the House? What are the probabilities of passage? What's gonna happen when it hits the Senate? And what can people who are listening right now who would like to see water in the United States once again become safe and clean and, and reasonably affordable do?
2: Those are great questions. So the bill has been introduced by Representative Brenda Lawrence from Michigan and Representative Ro Khanna from California. And Senator Sanders is introducing the bill in the Senate. Bill number is H.R. 1352. It has just been reintroduced a few weeks ago, but we're really going to be using this opportunity now that the COVID, the last COVID relief bill has passed. You know, the President and the House and the Senate is. They're focusing on an infrastructure bill. And of course, people may think of roads and bridges when you think of infrastructure, but water is a huge part of that as well. So we are going to be pushing for tenants of the Water Act to be included in that infrastructure package because, Mm -hmm. you know, investing in our water system, there's studies that show the Water Act could create up to a million jobs across the country. So it's a solution that we need now for safe water and, you know, to help the economy recover after the global pandemic has subsided. And so, if people want to make sure that everyone has access to safe, affordable public drinking water, the best thing to do is to reach out to your representatives and to your senators and urge them to co sponsor a sale.
1: And the phone number for Congress is 202 225 or 224. Either one will get you there 3121. 202 224 3121. And you can learn all about it at foodandwaterwatch.org. Rihanna Eckler, thank you so much for dropping by today. It's great talking with you.
2: Thank you
1: so much for having me. My pleasure. Nice meeting you. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on Trader.